While you're seated, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter number 14. Matthew chapter 14. And uh, also wanted to let you know, I know that the storyline, that story is an amazing story of Horatio Spafford. One of the things that Brandon um, didn't, I know he tries to go as quick as he can sometimes because he wants to reserve time for preaching. He tells me that all the time. And uh, I said, I don't worry about it. Don't worry, you don't worry about it. So, but he uh, reserves his time. There's a part in that story, too, that says that when Horatio went to go over and to meet his wife, that when they got across the portion of the ocean where the ship had went down and taken his family, that the captain gave the orders of looking overboard. That's what they would do. They would look out to see if they would see any persons, survivors, or anything. And that part of the verse in there where it says, those sea billows roll, that he knew as he was looking out for maybe a remnant of his family, he still knew that peace was overflowing more than the sea billows could roll and stuff. And it's amazing that through some of our hardest and most difficult times, God is the most real and the most present in those moments. And, and I think sometimes where we go, all right, well, Brother Steve, is it because God knows we needed that moment? Or is it this? Is it because you know you need him more in that moment and you're seeking him more in that moment than ever before, right? Uh, in Matthew chapter number 14, I want to preach to you today about just this word right here, uh, save me, or Lord save me, but it's save me. And I want you to kind of hang out just for a moment. We're going to begin reading in the verses in a little bit, but I want you to, I want to kind of set the scene first of all and bring us up to speed, to bring us where we are in this day. And what's cool about the Gospels is that a lot of times we miss out because we take this one text out of it. We take this one portion of Scripture out, and we kind of forget exactly what went on during that whole day. And you need to know what went on during the whole day so that you'll know what happens at the night. And sometimes we need to kind of Bob Ross this thing up and paint little happy pictures and paint little happy trees in order for us that are, listen, and please don't take it the wrong way, but us that are common folks and common-minded and simple-minded. Anybody in here know what I'm talking about? Where we need those parables, that when Jesus talked in parables, it was like, oh, that, that, that goes to me because I don't understand the, the deep parts of it. And we have to paint those pictures to get there. And so I want you to see, before we get to this portion of Scripture I want to preach today, I want you to listen back. And it's found there, you don't have to read it, but it's found there in chapter 14, verses 13, down to like 21 or something. But the Bible lays out this wonderful picture. And so if you would, let's walk together. Okay, let's walk and look. Let's not read it. Let's walk through it. And during that day, the Bible says there were 5,000. There were 5,000 above 5,000, but there were 5,000 men that we know that were there. But that had to be maybe even some of their families and others that were with them. And the Bible says that whenever the evening time was coming, that the disciples went over to Jesus. And listen to what they said. They said, send the people away. That's the words they said. Send them away back to their own homes because we don't have enough to feed these people. We don't have any money in the treasury to do this. And we all know that Judas may have had it, but he didn't want to come off of it, right? But we didn't have anything for them. And the disciples simply didn't have compassion for these people into the point where they said, send them away. Told Jesus just to get rid of them and send them away. It's kind of like whenever we were younger. And uh, we didn't have Pizza Hut and KFC and all this stuff every night for dinner like people do today. Every night for dinner now, you can have anything you want. You want something now, 
You can even get on, what's it called, Grubhub or something like that and call somebody, they'll bring it to you. They'll, they'll bring, if you got a hankering for some chicken wings at 3 in the morning, you can get those things anytime that you want. Think about it. When I was a kid, we didn't have that. And I know that you look at me and go, well, you had something, okay? You had to have something because you ate. Yeah, my mom cooked a lot of times. And I can remember my mom and dad coming home from work. We were by ourselves from end of the school bus until about 6 or 6.30 sometimes at night because my mom and dad worked together at UAB. And when they'd come home, I'd never forget getting the phone call. We didn't get a text message. We didn't know what a text message was unless it was something mom wrote on the refrigerator. And also, we didn't get the cell phone call no, we had to go into the kitchen and pick up this big thing, and it had this long eight-foot cord that was stretched out. And we said, hello, and mom and dad on the other end would say, we're bringing home Kentucky Fried Chicken. And man, it was awesome. It was so exciting. I know that y'all think I'm so fat because I talk about food all the time. But it was so exciting because you'd hang the phone up, and you would look at all your friends and go, y'all got to go. Y'all got to go home. I'm serious. We did that. Y'all got to go. My mom and dad's on their way home right now. Okay, well, well, I guess we'll see you tomorrow. You don't want to go and just play a little bit more? Nope, nope, nope. Y'all got to go. Y'all got to go. We're not having, like, you know, soup or chili or anything tonight. In my mind, I'm going, we're having KFC, and you got to go. You got to leave because if that, that means I'm going to have to give you my portion of it. You know, my dad's not going to give you his portion. And so that's what the disciples were doing. But the Bible says that Jesus had compassion on these people and he told them to go out and to search. And as they searched, they found a young lad that had the fish and the loaves of bread and he had compassion in such a way that he moved upon them. But then later on in the scripture, we pick up with this kind of area right now. It's kind of like evening time. And you imagine as they're by the lake of Tiberias, or what in the, the Word of God, some, some of your translations say Sea of Galilee. And we always look at the word sea and think salt water and all that. But sea in the, in the actual, the way the Hebrew term would use it, but it's translated into Greek, it meant a great body of water. And so in Israel, that was their greatest body of water. It was called the Lake of Gennesaret or the Lake of Tiberias, the Sea of Galilee. And on this huge body of water that it's really not that big, but it's big to them, on this huge body of water, when the evening time would come, some of the best times beside the lake, when you're, when you're at the lake. Anybody like lake life, like going to the lake? When you're beside the lake, some of the best times are the evening times. Because all day the winds may come in and blow over and over. But when the sun sets and the evening comes in, it's like everything dies down and it calms down. And the sun is setting off in the distance and then the water gets kind of a little bit glassed over and, and everything. And it's just at that right moment that I'm, I'm hopefully making some of y'all want to go. Campfire is kind of moving and no longer is it blowing everywhere, but it's just, it's just right there. It's popping, it's crackling. Well, this is the evening time. And everything seems calm. And the Bible says that Jesus now is going to do something that these disciples, well, maybe they didn't really pick up on it, but the Bible says Jesus told them to go to the other side and that he would see them. But none of the disciples said, well, Lord, we're just going to stay with you. We'll stay with you, make sure that you get over. Or none of them asked Jesus this question either. He said, y'all go on to the other side, okay? None of them said, how are you going to get over there? None of them ask, do you have a boat? Is somebody going to paddle you? Did you pay somebody to do this or that? And now we pick up in the scriptures. We've had all this huge day of, of, of preaching to these people, feeding them in the evening time is setting. All things are kind of dying down on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is exhausted from serving, and now he's going to go off into a mountain to pray. And he tells the disciples, y'all go ahead and go on the other side, and then I'll meet you there. Look at chapter 14. Let's pick up with verse number 22. The Bible says, and straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship. He commanded them, he pushed them, told them to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side. 
while he sent the multitudes away. It's almost, if we stop right there for one moment, let's continue painting the picture. It's almost like now everything is dying down. Everyone's belly is fed. And Jesus says, okay, I'm finally going to do what you disciples have asked me to do. I'm going to send the whole multitudes back away. Go home to your places uh, where you live at. Y'all go back to your cities and go and do all your things. And he even told the disciples, but I'm sending you away. I'll meet you on the other side, and I'm going to go and take care of all these people, and I'm going to send them back away. And now look at what it says in the next verse. And it says, and when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart from all of them to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost or a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me to come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. Looking at all these scriptures, first of all, let's take note of this. Jesus sent all the disciples away. And then the same way that they wanted the crowd to be sent away, he sends them away. And then Jesus tells them that he was going to meet them on the other side. How in the world would he get there? But Jesus pauses for a moment because why? Sometimes you have to pause for power. You understand what I'm saying? In prayer, I think Brandon's testimony this morning talked about the emphasis of prayer. When you're riding a tractor all day, evidently you get to pray a whole lot, right? So we have prayer requests, we'll give them all to Brandon, okay? But when you look at this, you have to pause for prayer. If Jesus took time in his life to pause for prayer and to pause to be rejuvenated or repowered in talking to his Father, then how much more should we pause for power in prayer? How much more should we take time out of our day to where we think we're so busy and we think that we're so overwhelmed with everything that we should just stop for a moment and pray about things? That we should seek God about that and not just do this. Look, listen to me. Prayer is not just going through and telling God everything that's wrong. Prayer is not just going through and saying, God, this is the problem. This is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. No, prayer sometimes is just pausing to listen to him. Yes, it's us talking to him, but it is also more him talking to you, him speaking to you. You say, how does he speak to you, Brother Steve? I've never heard God speak to me. I've never heard God audibly talk to me out of the clouds. Did he call you? Did he text you? Yes, he did text me. Amen. Amen. Did he he send a message? Yes, he sent messages. And we have to look and read those texts in order to understand what he's speaking to us. But he's also given you and I the Holy Spirit of God that communes with us. The word fellowship means commune inside of us to where we have our spirit, our natural spirit that we were created with is now combined together with the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit of God because it says that our spirits will bear witness with one another. Now, 
if our spirit, which is that one of the inward man or the inward woman, is going against God's Holy Spirit, we will not have fellowship and we will not have communion. But the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us is what sometimes stirs us up. I wanted to do the cabbage patch this morning, but I feel that it would be best to move on, right? But we need to be stirred up. The Bible says that these disciples were moved away and they were getting into the ship. And it was just like, if you, can, if you could see this picture, the disciples are like, it's been a long day. We're tired and we're wore out. Will you please send them away? How many of you men or women ever come home, you, you put in a long day or whatever it may be, it may be that you, you come home and that person that is at the house has already put in a long day. And, and you've put in a long day. And, and here's my thing. This is what I do. You can ask Patty, you can ask Jacob, you can ask Andrew, you can ask Brent. You can ask anybody. When I'm done with my day, stop asking me questions. When I'm finished with my day, I do not want to keep answering question after question after question. And you can ask Patty, and sometimes uh, I'll, I'll blame it on diabetes or something. And I'll go, I'm just wore out. I'm just tired. And what it is, is like, if I hear one more question. And so I even threatened Brent one time, and I said, do not ask me another question. Don't come to me and say, I got a question. So now he comes to me and goes, answer me this. Right? And I'm like, man, I'm... I'm the preacher's going to kill you if you don't stop. Where, because you're, you're exhausted, right? Anybody ever been exhausted? You're spent. Your day, your day is spent, and you are through with it all. That's the picture that I see of these disciples. They're like, Jesus, look, we've been here, and you've preached to these 5,000, and man, all of the crowds are gathered together, and will you just send them away? Send them home. We don't have the money. We don't have the food. We don't have anything at all. And really and truly, we don't even have the willpower to even go into town and bring something back. I'm, we just, look, don't worry about it. Can you hear these disciples telling Jesus, look, you know, they just wanted a barbecue anyway. You know what I mean? They only want to listen to your words because you're going to feed them. And they're just spent. And they say, send them away. And Jesus turns around and he sends them away. And the Bible says at the evening time, when the time is finally, everything seems to settle down, and those disciples are in a boat. The Bible says that they're going out. It's when the evening time that everything should be calm. And what does Jesus do? Jesus goes apart from all the other things. He takes time to move himself away from it all. And that's what you have to do sometimes. You have to find, and I know I'm preaching to myself on this, you have to find times of rest where you move yourself apart from things for just a moment and you take time to pause for prayer and power and rest. Even some of you that are educators and teachers and other things like that, you know what I'm talking about. You thank God for those breaks that are in between time because if you had one more student come up and do something else, you just got to walk out of the room and go, I, I, have, I, I need a minute. I'm going to be back in just a minute. And then 45 minutes to an hour later, you walk back in, right? It's because we need that time to remove ourselves from things. And people don't have that time anymore. Every one of you in here, even to some of the youngest ones in here, every one of you are never alone. You are never apart by yourself. You say, what do you mean? I am a lot of times. No. Right now, in just about every person's pocket in here or everyone's purse, there's a cell phone. And it's constantly going, ding, ding, and it's constantly going off. Facebook's going, hey, look at me. Twitter's going, hey, look at me. Snapchat's saying, hey, look at me. All of your friends are saying they're putting something. I was going to say it nicely. They're putting something that is of no use 
on there. And they're going, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. And not only that, but then add in the fact of phone calls and text messages. And then we sat around and talk about how we're so lonely in the world, but yet we have like 5,000 people in our pocket every day. We're never alone. We never look, stop, and just turn off things, turn off televisions, turn off phones. Even in the church service, there are people constantly. You can you think that it's so? It's just so blatant. It's right there. You're constantly. You're going, and you're doing it now. Probably, people are just looking through, and you go, well, they're just looking at their Bible. They're not reading their Bible that fast. They're thumbing through stupid Facebook pictures and going through all this because they're never alone. And then they go, Brother Steve, why am I so stressed out? Why, why do I feel like just everything needs my attention? Why, why does all this stuff seem to come on me? Why? Because you're reading every article, you're reading everything, and you're never taking time to be alone and to be apart with God. That's why your prayer life really suffers sometimes because we are not like Jesus and we get alone. But look at this picture here the disciples are. They're out now. They've made it out to the middle of the ocean, or excuse me, the middle of the sea, the Sea of Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee, the water, the lake. They've made it out to the middle. They've probably traveled about four and a half miles now to the center of this lake, this body of water, fresh body of water, and now they are in the midst of a storm. They are in the middle of a wild and raging storm. Jesus in the evening time, is on the mountain with God praying, but the disciples, look at what it says in verse number 24, but the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. So much that you got to understand, if you lay out this picture, you need to see what the Sea of Galilee or the Lake of Tiberias looks like. It is like a Smith Lake. Let's look at Smith Lake. Smith Lake is surrounded by certain valleys and mountains. Smith Lake is a lake that, man, you can go and it's 8 foot deep and then it's 200 foot deep because it was kind of valleys and mountain ranges and stuff like that, which is really good because it keeps a lot of the wind off of you while you're on the water. So Smith Lake really only gets real rocky and, and moving and all that stuff when it's 4th of July, Labor Day weekend, when boats are just everywhere on that lake. Lake Gunnersville, Alabama, is totally different. Lake Gunnersville is very wide and it's very shallow. You could literally, if I'm going to try to walk on water, it's going to be at Gunnersville, okay? Because you could literally be driving across and you look at your depth finder and it's 10 foot deep and you're in the middle of the whole lake. You could actually even drive out a little further and if you hit the ridge of Pine Mountain, you could be at two and a half foot deep and be right in the middle of the lake. And it's one of those things that I've always wanted to do. I've always wanted to, but because of Millfold, I don't, but I want to step out and just stand on that island while people walk by and just wave at them. I mean, seriously, because it's like shallow, just right there, and people are going across it. And doing, but at Lake Gunnersville, because it is such a wide open area and so shallow that immediately a storm can blow up, and when it blows up, waves can begin to build up higher and higher and higher to where you have some people in here. It'll put your boat. In the water, not in the water, but it put it under the water, right? Brother Edward, he get an amen on that one. And it'll sink your boat because it's rough. Brother Edward, I had him one time in the boat, and he was behind me, and it was bad, very, very bad, and it blew up just like that. And he just simply, he wasn't worried. Well, he's probably worried, but he didn't tell, tell me that. But he just tapped me on the shoulder while I was driving, and he leaned up on my left shoulder. And he said, if we go down, I'm swimming to that buoy, come back and get me. 
right? Because it gets bad. It gets very bad to where I had Brandon out on the water one time, and we hit a wave, and I watched him grab the side of the boat like I'm going down with it. It's rough. These disciples were, in the evening time, moved out into this water, and then all of a sudden, just like at Lake Gunnersville, because of the Jezreel Valley and because of the mountainside of the Golan Heights on the other side of this lake, the Jezreel Valley blows in air off of the Mediterranean Sea, and it comes in so hard that storms can begin to brew just like that, and the waters will be absolutely troubled all over that water to where boats, especially in their day, they thought that they were going down. The Bible says that the boat was now in the middle of the sea, in the middle of the wild storm. Look at verse number 30. The Bible says in verse chapter 14, verse 30, but when he saw the wind, look, he describes the wind as boisterous. Boisterous means wild, lively, active, rowdy, unruly, or noisy. It means that it was moving in such a way that it was causing this chaos all around them. And these people in the boats at this time, these disciples that were in the boat, they were afraid. Now, mind you, at least four of the men that were in this boat, four of these disciples, mind you this, these were experienced and well-trained fishermen that had been on this water many, many, many times. And probably thinking this, Probably in their minds thinking, well, we are past the day. We are into the evening hours. And so it will be calm sailing for us as we go through the night. If you've never been fishing at night, it's wonderful. It's beautiful. Obviously, unless a... A huge front or something like that comes in. But most of the time, at nighttime, when things die down, it is like glass. It is calm. It is quiet. The stars, the moon, all of it, it, it's just great. Don't you want to go fishing tonight? And it's great. It's wonderful to be out there. So I believe that these disciples probably never expected this storm because of some words that are used in the Scripture. I want you to think about these questions. What are these disciples to do now that they're in the middle of a storm? And not only that, that it's so scary even for these experienced fishermen, they probably needed help. They were probably crying out, well, we need Jesus now. We need Jesus now. What should we do whenever we face those kind of storms? What should we do when we face or encounter those kind of tribulations in our life? Because the Bible says this, while you and I as Christians will not go through the great tribulation, he said in this world you will have tribulations. You will have times to where it literally will blow up on you as though it's an unexpected storm while you thought it was going to be smooth sailing. Literally. If you've never encountered that, I promise you, you continue to live long enough, you will. There will be days, there will be phone calls, there will be messages, there will be things that happen to you that immediately, while you thought the day was smooth sailing, it will blindside you, and you're going to go, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? I don't know what to do. I don't know how to act. I don't know what I need to do. And that's why you must have these scriptures now. The first thing you've got to do is you've got to accept the fact. You've got to accept the fact. If you're taking notes this morning, you've got to write these things down. It's real simple. It's going to be real easy to remember. It's all going to be alliterated. It's going to be so you can walk out of here and go, that's exactly what I need to do. You can write it on your mirror, and you can do whatever you want to, okay? Write it in the front of your Bible. But you've got to accept the fact. What do we do in the middle of a storm? You've got to accept the fact that you're in a storm. Right. You know, I have a very bad habit of if I get sick or if I get hurt, I am, and I'm a person that goes, mm, I, I'm going to walk by faith. I'm the person that Patty goes, are you sick? I go, no, I'm not sick. Or it sounds like this mostly. No, I'm not sick. 
You know, are you sick? Are you feeling bad? No, I'm not feeling bad. I'm speaking life into myself. I feel great. I do that. I do that all the time. I'm going, I'm not going to let, I, 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 I just Benny Hinn on that thing is what I do. I'm not going to let it happen to me. I just walk around and go, I'm no, 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 because you speak life and death, right? And so I'm sitting there going, nope, I'm not sick. Patty goes, I think you're sick. Need to take. She walks over to me. She walks over to the boys. And she just always, she just lovingly looks like she's going to come over and give us a hug. And she leans in and she goes, you know, you know what that is. Like you're sick. And, and thank you, coronavirus, for have intensifying this effect for all of us in the Abney household. Uh, but it's like, I'm not doing it. There was even a time, in the first time that I hurt, I hurt my back, I was laying on the bed. I could not move. I literally was laying flat on my back. And if I moved like this, the things inside of me or whatever was in my spine would just like set off bombs and lightning rods or lightning bolts were going down my back. And I tried to move like this. The boys came in the room and I'm sitting there and I'm already so frustrated and angry and in pain to where tears are coming out of the side of my eyes. And they're trying to pick me up and I'm going, no. And I literally thought this, it doesn't matter. It's mind over matter. I can stand up. I, I, you know, I'm 40-something years old. There's no way that this is true. There's no way that this is right. And I'm going, I will get up. That's exactly what I said. And I grabbed the side of the bed and I jerked my body over and was screaming out in pain and uh, getting off the bed. And I'm going, I can do it. I can do it. And when I couldn't stand up, I was going, y'all going to have to help me up. It was serious. Even a couple of years ago when I told Patty, I'm tired of going to the doctors. I'm tired of going to the hospital about this stuff. I'm getting out of this vehicle and walking. She goes, what? She was fixed to take me to the hospital. She's like, what do you mean you're going to get out? I said, I'm getting out right now. I said, I can't pray about it and then not try. I said, I'm getting out. And she was like, well, let me get the other side. I said, well, you better hurry because I'm getting out now. I got out. I stood up and I walked around and I was just excited about everything and all of the stuff that God did. But I'm the, sometimes I'm the world's worst at accepting the fact. And you know why? It's, it's, it's a nature in me that people go, people say this, that door's so messed up you can't fix it. And I go, oh, okay, well, you just watch. You just stand back and watch. Well, that computer's so messed I had a computer laid out of parts one time, screws and all this stuff laid out. And I remember a sister of the church said, that ain't ever going back together. And I went, the day I put it back together, I brought it and turned it on and said, this is that computer, right? Don't say that I can't do those things because sometimes I can't, I'm not good at accepting the fact. The Bible says these disciples needed to do something. In tribulation, you must accept the fact that there's a storm going on. You must accept the fact that you're in the middle of something that you have no control over. And the hardest thing, and listen, I know as much as I'm putting my manly pride out there, a womanly pride is exactly the same. It's hard. It's difficult. Look at what it says in Matthew 14. Look at verse 24. It says, but the ship was now in the midst of the sea. And it was, the waves were tossing it back and forth. And the wind was contrary. You have to look at it. You can't look at that and go, I wonder what was happening to them. Because when you look at that scripture, you go, I know exactly what was going on. They were in the middle of a storm. Duh. But how come we have a hard time accepting that? So many times you're in the storm and you're in this huge trial or tribulation or something that's going on with you. And you wait and you wait and you wait and wait and wait until finally you're floating on a piece of wood or you're just washed up on the shore before you finally realize that you were in a storm or before you finally accept the fact that you were in a storm. I can't tell you how many times I would love to counsel with married people before they end up signing papers of divorce. I would rather let's talk about it in the beginning. 
Why? Because we need to accept the fact that we're in a storm. We don't need to let this go and try to defeat us. The Bible says these disciples were in a boisterous storm. It was wild. It was throwing them in the ship, all of that stuff. Listen, this week alone, I have witnessed so many Christians who are thriving, who are feeding energy off of being anxious and and anxiety as though we're in this wild storm. And they're all going, what do we do? What do we do? I get phone calls. I get messages. I get private messages on Facebook. All this, what are we going to do now? What are we going to do now? How will we do this? What's going on here and all that? The truth of the matter is that we must face the fact and the reality and accept it that storms will come no matter what we do. And we must also face this truth. You can't change things. And what I mean by that is there are storms that blow up on your life that you have no control over. You have absolutely no, you're powerless to them. And you're still trying to control it all by trying to stand up and say, there's no way this is a storm and there's water all in the boat. When you need to accept the fact that there is a real storm going on in your life. And so many times people won't do that, and before long, it tears them all apart. Listen, imagine how much these disciples needed Jesus now. And he's about four and a half miles away on a mountain praying with his father. Imagine how much, Brother Anthony, that these disciples needed the presence of Jesus. But also think back to what they wanted Jesus to do to all of those 5,000. Send them away. Send them away. And it's almost, look, if you look at the Scripture... Jesus sends them away. And now they are alone understanding what it is to need a Savior and to need help. You know, sometimes there are storms we have no control over, but every single time there are storms that God has absolute power and control over, and he wants you to get through these things so that you learn from them and learn what it is to be dependent upon him. You have to accept the fact. If it isn't scary enough that they're going through a storm, listen to the next scriptures. Matthew 14, look at verse 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled. I put an absolutely yes, exactly. They said it was a spirit or a ghost, and they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spoke unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. If, if going through a storm <laughs> isn't enough, here comes Jesus. You know, I, I don't want to take away from the Scripture, but I think about the fortnight emote, you know. You know, he's coming along. Here comes Jesus. He's calm. He's relaxed. But notice what the scripture says. They set sail at evening time. And at the evening time, they were in the middle of that water. In the middle of it. And Jesus hangs out in prayer with his father until the fourth watch of the night. Look back at verse number 25. It says, and it was in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them. It's almost, Brother Mitch, as though Jesus goes... How much longer should I let him go through this, Dad? You know, Father. And he's like, no, not yet. Don't go yet. Don't go yet. Don't go yet. Oh, okay, go now. In the evening time, Jesus finally comes out to them at about 3 to 6 o'clock in the morning. About 3 o'clock in the morning. I mean, it's like where you go, hey, we know you're over there on the mountain. We could use a little help here, 
right? Could you come over here? And it says Jesus doesn't come. And it's not the delaying of Jesus that is an issue or that is wrong. The delaying of Jesus many times, even for a man by the name of Lazarus, was to bring glory to God. He delayed four days in coming to him and calling him out of the grave, amen? And you say, I wonder why. Because of Jewish tradition, they believed that the spirit of the person of the body hung around the gravesite for three days, but yet Jesus came on the fourth day. Why? To prove all Jewish traditions wrong and God right. Amen? To prove that if they thought the Spirit had already departed out of him after four days or three days of being in the grave, Jesus said, I'll come on the fourth day. Right? And they didn't understand it all, but it was to bring glory to God. These disciples didn't understand. Look, he, he, if you know that he's on a mountaintop and he's praying with his Father, you cannot but help see, Brother Ricky, the sea being in a storm. <clears throat> if Jesus is on a mountaintop, if he's on the Golan Heights or if he's up in the northern area at Bethsaida or anywhere that they were, if he's on a mountaintop, he can clearly see just about all of the lake of, of Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee. It's only about eight and a half, nine miles wide by 11 miles north to south. It's not a very big place. And if you're on a mountaintop, you could see all of the things that would be going on. And he was with his father praying, but he didn't go and he didn't show up until about three or six in the morning. You know, sometimes you think God is uh, uh, disappointed with you. And you think that he doesn't care about you because you're going through the middle of a storm but you have to understand, his presence is with you. His words are with you. You say, what do you mean his words are with me? He told the disciples to get into a ship, constrain them to get into a ship, and that he would see them on the other side. Sometimes we may not feel the very presence of God in the storms, and what do we hold on to? We must hold on to his text. And what is the text that we must hold on to is the fact that he said, I will see you on the other side of this lake. They could have held on to the fact that this storm will not sink us and we will not die out here on this water because Jesus said that he will see us on the other side. They could have held on to that, but they were holding on to what? All of the things, the boisterous winds, the wild storm that was going on all around them. And so when Jesus walked up, they thought it was a ghost at about 3 or 6 in the morning. And notice what they did. Look at what the words say right here. I think it's in verse 26. It says, they cried out for fear. <clears throat> Now they're crying out, they're hollering out for fear. They're afraid. <clears throat> They've accepted the fact that they're in a storm. They're scared to death. Fishermen that were trained understood these things would happen. But at this time, church, you've got to think about it. These guys are so afraid, they don't know what is going on. But here's the second thing you need to do, write it down. Now you have to activate faith. You have to activate the faith. And let me say something to you. Not your faith. Don't write it down that way. I said activate the faith. You must activate the faith. The Bible says in chapter 14, look at verse 27. But straightway Jesus spake unto them. You know what that means? As they were afraid and they were crying out for fear. Oh no, what are we going to do? It's a ghost and we're all going down. Right? No. Straightway, immediately. Right then. Brother Edward, Jesus spake unto them and says, Be of good cheer, it is I. Don't be afraid. Be of good cheer. And what he's saying is, is that you're allowing your emotions to control you. 
He said, you need to be of good cheer. You need to be of good thankfulness, charity or charitas. You need to understand that grace. You need to be of good cheer. Jesus said, it's me. It's almost like he says to them, calm down, guys. It's not a ghost. It's me. But you notice something? All of their fear of the storm started bringing up worldly things in all of their minds. We're dying. It's a ghost. It's all of this stuff. He said, be not afraid. Don't be scared. Don't be afraid. And look at what the very next word says. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me to come unto thee on the water. And he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Listen, Peter, over the howling winds and the seas, he asked Jesus to bid him or to call him to come to where he was by walking out on the water to him. And all of that stuff. And some of us want to go, faith, that's faith right there. Peter activated his faith right there. He put it into overdrive. He did just like you, Brother Steve. Whenever you were getting off that bed, you activated faith. And when you were getting out of that car that day to stand up, you activated faith and stuff like that. Peter had faith, right? No. Peter did not have faith in that portion of the Scriptures. When it said there that he said, Lord, if it's you, let me come, call me to come out to you on the water, he didn't have faith. All Peter had was a desire. All Peter had was a voice and a desire. None of it was faith in just simply asking. He said, Lord, if it's you, it's actually really, if you look at it, Brother Brandon, it's almost a test. And he's going, Lord, if that's really you... They call me to come out there with you, right? It reminds me of the old story about the, the Baptist preacher and the Methodist preacher and the Pentecostal preacher that were in the boat together, and they were all fishing. Y'all probably heard this before. But the Pentecostal preacher said, Hey, guys, I'm going to go over here and sit on the bank and eat some lunch. And he gets out of the boat, and he walks across the water, and he sits down, and he eats lunch. And the Methodist preacher gets out, and whenever the Methodist preacher, he said, I'm going to go over and join him. He gets out, steps out of the boat, and he walks all the way over there, Brother Bo, to the bank, and he sits down with the other preacher, and they eat lunch together. The Baptist preacher steps out, and boom, sinks immediately. He just goes down, you know, like, what in the world? And the Methodist preacher and the Pentecostal said, you think we should have told him where those stumps were? You know, you think about it. It's not faith by saying, God, could you do this? That's not the faith. That's a request. That is a desire. And a lot of people look at Peter in this, and we're going to talk about him a little bit more. They look at it, and they say, wow, Jesus simply said to Peter, look at the answer back to him, and he said, come. Come on. When Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on water to go to Jesus. And you can see Peter now. If you could see Peter just a moment, you like he, he's got his foot and he's looking at the boat and he's looking at the waves and he's, he's reaching out and stepping over that. <clears throat> but it is not faith until Peter absolutely lets go of the boat. It's not faith until maybe one of the disciples that's holding his hands watching him <clears throat> as he's got two feet out there. But until he lets go of the boat, it is not faith because he's still holding on to something else. He's holding on to what? Plan B. He's holding on to a safety net. But when he lets go of the boat, it is faith then. How many times are we just satisfied by sitting in the boat and just going down in the ship? All of this stuff is being asked and it's being done while the wind 
wind and the waves are still howling all around and the storm is still going on. But it seems like, Sister Darla, the focus now is moved and the attention now is on Peter is about to step out on this storm and to do these things. But the Bible says that Peter's walking on water and he's going out there. He's walking toward Jesus. He's not just walking out there and just kind of like, hey, everybody, look at me and look at me. He's got a goal in mind and he's walking to Jesus. His request was, let me come to where you are. His request was not just to walk on the water. His request was to let me walk out on this water to where you are. And what Peter was saying is, is that I would rather be with you on the storms than in this stinking boat on the storm. Let me walk out to you. It was nothing about pride. There's nothing in here that talks about Peter's pride. It is faith that was activated and given by request of his prayer. Jesus gave Peter that measure of faith. It wasn't Peter's faith because Peter was one of those that were in the boat earlier crying out for help, screaming for help, and they were screaming because they thought it was a ghost. But when he saw Jesus, he wanted to go to him, and Jesus gave him that faith to do that. The Bible says in verse uh, 30, though, look at this, but when he saw, you see those words, but when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, Lord, save me. Here's the last thing, and then we'll start preaching. There's a third thing. Listen, we need to access our friend. There are times that you need to know that, yeah, you're in a storm, and you're walking out, and you're trying to activate the faith. And listen, you're praying, and you're asking God for requests, and you're asking God to do these things, and God to show himself real. You're asking to be in the presence of Jesus. You're asking for him to help you. If you've never been in a storm before, you understand that your prayer time is mostly always, always this, Lord, please be with me. I need to know you're here. I need to feel your presence. I need you to speak to me. I need you to help me. I need you to do, Lord, just begin to move on my life and upon my situation. Most of the time, every Christian's prayer when they're in the storm, it's not a selfish, petty, me, 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 me. Most of the time, for a true Christian, most of the time, it's God, I need you, I need you, I need you, I need you. And sometimes, even when you can't even find the words to say that the spirit within us, the uttermost groans of our spirit are understood by the Holy Spirit of God that is given unto the Lord, that he understands his children. But look, we need to access our friend. Verse 30 says this, but when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried saying, Lord, save me. And immediately, don't you like that? Jesus may have tarried in prayer time while they were going through a storm, but when one cried out in a specific need of Lord, save me, immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and he called him and he said unto him, look at this. Well, man, oh thou, you of little faith, Wherefore didst thou doubt? He said, you, per, you person of little faith, why did you doubt? Now look at me now. You're going through a storm. You've been rocking on these waves since the evening time. It's in the early hours of the morning. You're out in the middle of the sea or in the middle of the water. You think that you're going down. All of a sudden, somebody comes walking by and you think it's a ghost. You're terrified and you're afraid and you're scared. You cry out and it's Jesus. He says, be of good cheer. You know it is I. Be not afraid. And he says, hey, if it's you, let me come out to you. And he says, come. You know, he says, come. Jesus was the one that bid and said, bid him to come and gave him the faith and he came out there and then he begins to sink because why? He took his eyes off. He and then people say, oh, he looked back at the disciples in the boat with pride. It doesn't say that in the scripture, so don't add that. 
It does not say that. It says that he looked at the wind that was boisterous. He looked back at the storm that caused him the greatest fear. He looked back at that and he began to sink. And Jesus immediately stretches out his hand and saves him. But then Jesus doesn't go, it's all right, buddy. I got you. I mean, that's what we'd say. Right? Everybody in here, every guy in here, that would be our country terminology. It's all right, man, I got you. And then when you got them in the boat, you'd laugh your head off at them. You know? But he says, you of little faith. Jesus rebukes him. I mean, it's like, and what do we do about this scripture? This is what people post, and this is what people share about this scripture all the time. And they say, well, at least Peter had the faith to get out of the boat. That's what people talk about. That's what Christians sit around talking about. They're like, well, at least. That's not what Jesus said about Peter. Peter didn't pick him up by the hand, or Jesus didn't pick Peter up by the hand, walk him back over to the boat and look at all the other disciples and say, why didn't y'all get out? This ought to be a good example. He got out. He, at least he had faith to get out of the boat. That's not what the whole scripture's about, and we shouldn't twist the scripture to make that kind of point because that's not what God's saying. No. Let me show you what God's saying. He was in the middle of a storm. He was in fear. But when he saw Jesus, he had faith. And when he had faith, he was moved to call out unto Jesus. And Jesus, as that faith was activated in Peter, Peter made steps of faith to go out to where Jesus was. And as he made those steps to go out, he was walking on water. He was doing, listen now, he was doing exactly what Jesus was doing. And that's exactly what the Lord wants you and I to do in troubled times and in storms. He wants his mind to be in you. That's why Paul said, let this mind which was in Christ Jesus be in you. And what we want to do is to try to be like Jesus as much as we can. But then all of a sudden, Peter did something that the Israelites were known for doing. They, instead of holding on to faith, knowing that he called them out to walk beside him, they went back into fear. Why did Jesus rebuke Peter and not the other disciples? Now, this is where you're going to go home today and you're going to think, well, I'm just going to do this. Brother Steve said it. I'm just going to stay in the boat. That way I don't get in trouble from Jesus. I was going to stay in the boat. No. They got in the boat. By faith, they were going across already, and Jesus would meet them there, and they were in a storm and become fearful. Jesus comes out to meet them. When he comes out to meet them, Peter asks by faith to go out to where he is to be in his presence, and by faith he did that, but then immediately Peter went right back into fear. Right back into fear. You say, what is that like, Brother Steve? Put it in our words today. I'm glad you asked me to do that. It is just like you and I praying. And we say, God, we give you this. We, we need you. We trust you, Lord. We trust you. I'm going to do my part, and I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to pray about it, I'm going to leave it with you. And then all of a sudden, when it isn't answered the way that you think that it should be answered, you immediately go right back into fear. Right back into fear. Now, some of you think that I prepared this message after Tuesday. But I've had this message in my notes for five weeks now. You know why? Because the Lord knows when we need them. Too many times we say, God, we trust you. And then you go back into the same old fear. And God says, you. Notice the words. He did not say, which Jesus evidently didn't use that, but y'all. He didn't say, that, uh, ye O ye of little faith at this scripture, it says that he said, O thou of little faith. Peter was pointed out because you went backwards. 
Christians do the same thing. We sit around, we pray about what we're going to do, we pray about our nation, we pray about all of these things, just like even on this last week, election, all this stuff's going on, we pray about it and pray about it, and then something goes wrong, and people go, oh, no, 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 no. We can't go into fear. We can't go back into fear. Can you imagine what the, the, the 2020 disciples would say today? You know what I mean? Can you imagine what the 2020... Here, here's, here's the normal thing. This is going to make you mad, but I saved it to the end so you wouldn't be mad long. It'll make you mad. I promise you, it's going to bust your bubble. You're going to get irritated at me, but it's okay. Uh, boy, I'll see you next Sunday. I'll give you a hot dog. You know what the modern Christian does today in times of anxiety and in times of stress and trouble? Anybody in here ever have any anxiety or trouble or stress? or Anybody at all? Okay. Here's what the normal 2020 disciple would say today. Not bid me to come to you, Lord. No, they're going through a storm, and whenever the storm is over with, they go, whew, I need a beer. Oh, my gosh, I need a cigarette. Somebody give me a cigarette real quick. I got to have a cigarette because I'm just, my nerves are shot. You know what? I can't just go in, the, go in the cabinet and get my nerve pills because we're so anxious about everything. It's true, and I knew that you wouldn't like that. That's why I saved it because it's true. It's what we put our emphasis on. We go, Lord, we trust you with everything. But then all of a sudden we go back to worldly remedies. We trust you with everything, Lord. But then we go back to a, a medical answer that may be a spiritual problem. Or we go to a, a worldly answer that may be a spiritual problem. We go, oh, Lord, I trust you. And that's the modern Christian today. The modern Christian today, they wake up in the morning and they look at you and they're mad and they're bitter and they're angry. And they go, don't talk to me until I have my coffee. They do it. Don't you look at me until I've had my first cup of coffee. And it's like those things control us all. Those things are controlling. And if I had to ask you today, if all of those things are the answer to your anxiety, that if, if we could just give you an eight-foot cigarette and you smoke it, and that answers all of your anxiety, or we give you a beer the size of this pulpit, and that answers all your anxiety, then, then how much are you trusting in this? How much are you depending upon the Lord? If everything is always some kind of issue where you've got to have this and Christ isn't enough, that's exactly what Jesus rebuked Peter for. Because evidently Christ was not enough for Peter at that moment. And so when he looked at the winds and waves, he began to sink. It's just like you and I. It is exactly just like you and I. And I, you have to notice something. You're going to go home and you're going to be mad at me. Maybe you'll go on Facebook and talk about me. That's fine. I have a lot of people that do that. It's good. It's no big deal. But here's the thing about it. I never said you. I said we. I never pinpointed you and went into your trash and go see what, you know, you're throwing out in the yard and beer cans and all that stuff. And I don't go and see you buying all this stuff up. No, I, I said the modern Christian today, we spend more time saying, I got to have this. Here, here, you, you want one more? This really make your rest of you mad. I just figure if we're going to dump it all on there, we should get it all over with. There's some people can't even deal in life unless they have a Mountain Dew. And we look at that. We go, Mountain Dew's okay. Right? Mountain Dew's better than Budweiser. That's what people would say. Some people in here may not say that. Right? You may say that the other one's better than that one. But we say Mountain Dew. If those things are the answer to all of our issues, and listen to me, you get that release of all your anxiousness because that came in and, and, and pumpkin spice is here. I can handle fall because of pumpkin spice. <laughs> Seriously. If we laid them all out right here. I just saw somebody pick up a Mountain Dew. If we laid them all right out here 
And, 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 and I'm going to close. Brother Brandon, y'all go ahead and come on here. They're mad. They're growling. <laughs> if we laid them all out right here on this, day, on this altar, and I ask you, seriously, as a Christian, if I ask you, you're going through a storm, you're going through a trial, and if I ask you, which one would you want more? The Word of God, or would you want those other things? Probably 9 or 9.9 out of 10, because you're here in church, and because you profess to be a Christian, you'd all come up and put your hand on the Bible. That's what you would want. Then why aren't you doing that at home? Then why aren't we doing those things out every day in life? If all of that is our answer, then how much do we look at Jesus and go, I love you, man. I appreciate everything you did for me. And I do want to go to heaven. But you know, when I'm feeling anxious and I'm going through a storm, this, this helps me out. Or this helps me out. No offense to you, but it just kind of calms me down. When Jesus is the one that wants to calm you down. Jesus is the one that wants to be that one to save you. So we don't need, we don't need the beers and we don't need the, the mixed drinks and we don't need the cigarettes rolled out. We don't need those things, church. Listen to me. I'm not... Don't go home, tell everybody I'm preaching, you know, stomping in the pulpit. You don't need those things if you have Christ. You don't need that. You don't need to go. Listen, and also on the other one, you know what? I'm just so exhausted today, and I, this day has been so horrible. I need bluebell ice cream. Now, some of you are thinking I'm meddling now, but I'm trying to get you to understand. I'm not leaving anybody out. But I'm trying to get you to understand that when you're in a storm, do this. Accept the fact that it's a storm. Accept it. Accept the fact that you can't do anything about it sometimes. A diagnosis of cancer. You can't do anything about it sometimes. A diagnosis of someone that has no brain activity because of a horrible wreck. Our hands are behind our back. Doctors tell you that they have no control over the situation. You've got to accept the fact that it's a storm. But then you have to activate the faith. It's not your kind of faith that you muster up and go, oh, we can do it, we can do it. Faith is not the power of positive thinking. No. You accept the fact of the storm, and then you activate the faith that Christ wants to give you. That he wants to give you. He's the one that, listen, Peter said, if it's you, let me come to you. And he said, come on. Come. He's the one that did the bidding. And then last of all, after you accept the fact and you activate the faith, then you need to understand that sometimes all you can do is throw your hands up and just access a friend. And these people in here that love you so much, man, they love you. They care about you. But they can't fix it. That's not the friend I'm talking about. I'm talking about what the Bible says is a friend that sticks closer than any brother I'm talking about the kind of person that even when a man was coming over to him and to kiss him on the cheek, to betray him, his words to him were, friend, why have you come? That's a friend that knows an enemy and knows an enemy's thoughts, but still calls him friend. If it had been Steve Adams, you dirty, rotten scoundrel, what have you come for? No, friend. Sometimes storms are so big, that all you can do is say, Jesus, Lord, save me. Lord, help me. I don't know what you're going through. 
I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't do that. I just pray. I know that God touches the message and hits somewhere. It has to. And I don't need to know. You don't have to come to me after and go, Brother, see, that was a great message. I, need, I, don't need, I don't have to know that. All I do know is that what I want in this message is that you would not depend on worldly, temporary fixes to what God's trying to do inwardly with you in this storm. That you would not go, oh my gosh, I need this. And not come to him on your knees and say, oh my God, I need you. God, I need you. You pray with me. Lord, we